Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hat smiley face. Well, hello everybody and welcome back to the China Shop. Joining me today, I have the candid and captivating Kevin Jefferson. Forex trader and founder of the Cashflow Creation Club. If you'd like to learn more about today's guest, make sure you check out his website at fmtrades.com or you can follow his YouTube channel at ForexFam. And finally, please feel free to reach out with your suggestions, corrections, questions for future guests. You can do that via email at twobulls at financialineptitude.com or you can join our free Discord server where a bunch of amazing people gather to share our struggles and lessons learned with other like-minded market aficionados. We'll have links for all that stuff in the episode description so you can peruse them at your convenience. Now that we got all the business stuff out of the way, let's get to know today's guest. Kevin, how are you doing today, man? I am well, Kyle. Thank you for having me. How are you? Ah, fantastic. Just enjoying uh, the, what do you call it, the, the bachelor weekend that I haven't had in a long time. <laughs> so got the wife, uh, she went to go visit her daughter in Phoenix, so I've been... I've been living alone for the last three days. <laughs> Man, I tell you, well, you survived first and foremost. So she must have really, you know, it's like a, you know, leaving a, leaving an animal with their, their, their dish and their water and saying, you know. Just, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> next three days. I went, I went shopping with her before we left. So I'd have at least some dinner plan ideas and wouldn't be eating frozen pizzas the entire week. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's right. Got full bachelor mode, man. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Right <laughs> so how you been, man? So you, you trade Forex, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's correct, man. I'm doing well uh, here in Dallas, Texas, and I've uh, been trading Forex as a part of my 20 plus career, 20 plus year career in finance. I've actually been trading Forex for about 15 of those. So um, it's pretty ingrained in my in my journey. Wow. So, But you didn't start with Forex. No, no, not at all. So um, actually, I started in the industry, um, coincidentally, a couple of months after September 11, 2001. So I was um, I was former military um, and I was working actually for Georgia oh, wow. Pacific. Thank you. <laughs> Sounds like I know the military guys. And so um, I was with Georgia Pacific, but my heart was always in finance. And so mm-hmm. um, in 2001, there was kind of it was an era where there was a big push for a lot of, in my opinion, bro. It was like a lot of people pushing to get ex-military officers and NCOs. They were really clearly looking for leadership in corporate America. Yeah. And so, yes. uh, yeah. So in Georgia Pacific, you know, they they hired us, you know, hired me out. That was my first job out of the military um, where I was. A, I was a field artillery officer, um, you know, West Point grad, all that stuff. So I played around in the dirt and uh, got out. And uh, Georgia Pacific was a really cool place to start my career because they they had a one year program that was like a it was a fast track management program. And so they taught you everything from, yeah, like from design to customer service to shipping manufacturing logistics i mean it was i mean sales customer service it was really really wow. pretty pretty dope right i mean so yeah. like a, for a year they paid you just to learn and uh and then they, they switched you to another plant because they obviously didn't want you 
you know, trying to lead where you learn, right? So, um, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you know, it's like going to boot camp and then all of a sudden, you, you know, you know how that goes crazy. Well, yeah, so, yeah. So, um, so anyway, I ended up moving to, um, I was living in, in, I was living in Memphis, Cordova, whatever, in Tennessee. Uh, and then I moved Oh, yeah, to, I've been there. Yeah, man. So, I mean, I like Memphis um, as a place to visit. I live, like you say, a little bit out, like on the outskirts or whatever. And it's grown so much. My, my wife has family there, man. So I'm there now more. I probably spent more time in Memphis as a visitor now than I did when I lived There's there. There's <laughs> such great blues music there. When I um, My first job when I got out of the military was uh, at the steel mill in um, you know, Newcore, Memphis. Yeah, I'm familiar. familiar with it. Yeah, that's where I, I when they when they bought that plant from Birmingham and started it back up. I was there for the commissioning of that. Wow, wow, that is crazy. Right? Yeah, man, the I, music on Beale Street, though, man. Ah, oh, first time I was there, I got I didn't know I didn't know Memphis was such a party town, man. Those guys don't they close one bar and another one opens up two man, hours later. Like, <laughs> bro, hey, let me tell you, barbecue, <laughs> brew, bourbon, and yeah. blues. You know what I mean? Like all the bees oh, yeah. are <laughs> on Beale Street. <laughs> yes, yeah, no, that's crazy, right? <laughs> one of the guys I worked with, he actually had a department in Fraser Street, if you can believe that. Oh, wow. Tubby oh white guy, you like to play World of Warcraft. That's crazy, man. <laughs> hey, bro. I, I, I don't I don't put I don't I believe anything, man. I believe anything. Uh-huh. So I love it too, man. The food's good. I um mm-hmm. I, a funny story. So I was when I was with when I was with GP, uh, there was a guy named Larry who uh, he was the design guy. Got it. Larry June was his name. And uh, mm-hmm. so we would go to lunch and uh and he he was, you know, uh, skinny white dude with glasses like look kind of like look like a design guy would look like a like kind yeah, of a, yeah you know white trench coat type dude and mm-hmm. um <laughs> like a flasher <laughs> <laughs> or that you know what i'm saying or that yeah. you know so he we're, we're um at this i think we're at interstate barbecue one of those barbecue like famous joints or whatever and so he and i like to bring some texture to it larry and i we were in that place uh where i was studying under him so probably for Several weeks, I had been like he and I had just been kicking it, like me and him, you know, because ain't nobody else in the mm-hmm. design department but Larry. And so, uh, <laughs> so we go to lunch, man, and he's introduced me to some guy he knows, and he's like, "Yeah, um, now my name is Kevin Jefferson, by the way." But he says, "Yeah, yeah. I want you to introduce my friend Clint Alexander, like my good friend." I'm like, "Who was Clint Alexander, dude?" I mean, he was like, "I don't, I mean, I don't know where that came from." I'm like, "You know what? Anything's possible." So I ain't mad about nothing. You can call me anything you want to, you know. You know, people, you can, yeah, it was crazy. So that's not even uh, close at all. So, like, you know, (laughs) he's a smart guy, but that that happens to me all the time, man. But uh, just to say that I don't, I don't really freak out about much because, you know, people can't read my name right when they spend time with me. So, but, um, and that's, that's crazy that they, they did they let you use the, the GI Bill too, uh, as part of the, the training program that you went into? So, I remember Alcoa did something similar with that. Yeah. So, well, we did. So that one, that would have been kind of different because I would have probably been going to actually pay for something to do yeah. it but like they literally were paying me like for real like i was on their i was on their payroll as a supervisor getting supervisor pay and i was just basically i was doing OJ, ojt you know so yeah yeah um, yeah and it was container board and packaging so we were like making brown boxes man and, and um that's actually what i would say informed it kind of really it gave me a lot of perspective on a lot of mm-hmm. things because we were making boxes and probably the sexiest boxes we made were um were pr- these things called pre-print boxes where we would make the le- the ego uh, waffle boxes, like the ego waffle, oh, Lego my ego, yeah, oh, like the yeah. shipping boxes, yeah, yeah, very so, familiar with those, <laughs> right on. So, so yeah, yeah, me, me too. My kids, my right, kids, right? they'll ask for it, right on, you know. Yeah. And so, but I, that's when I realized I was like, man, you know what? You can make a lot of money doing really stupid and simple shit, right? And so, yeah, you know, so they, these guys are making brown. We're making brown boxes. And it's a billion dollar industry. I mean, legit. Mm-hmm. A billion. And, and so, it was, so it expanded my mind to the possibilities. And I think that's kind of really what helped me in my journey with the financial piece is that I never really saw boundaries, right? And so, mm-hmm. so I was with GP, um, but my heart was always in finance. Even going back to West Point, I remember I, you know, buy all these, get all these, um, these financial magazines and, and business magazines because I just felt like I needed to be doing something like bigger than just, you know, earning an income from some gig right. or whatever. And so, um. I, I went and um, Merrill Lynch called me in 2001, asked me if I wanted to interview to become a financial advisor. I was like, heck yeah, that's what I've been waiting for. I mean, I was literally going to on weekends. I spent my weekends in Barnes and Noble trying to study, like, what would it take to become a financial advisor? This is back in the early 2000s. So, you know, the internet yeah, wasn't yeah. 
You know what I mean? So um, back so, when you had I, to get the books in print, <laughs> you had to literally go and physically get the books, and then yep. and then, but at least you could weed through the bullshit a little bit better because you're, right. you're Barnes Noble. And you know everybody's selling something, but you can kind of me- you know you can kind of measure it up a little quicker. You know, I, I don't there's, know. A, there's a little more checks and balances for the material right that gets put on their bookshelves than does on the internet or Wikipedia. <laughs> exactly, that's exactly yeah. the point. I couldn't have said it better, right? So there's there was some there was some beauty to that time that that time in our lives, right? But um, yeah. But but I uh I got the call, and um, so I was literally interviewing with Merrill Lynch two months after September 11, 2001. So in November of 01, I'm flying up to, to New Jersey where their headquarters is, um, or was, I don't know where it is now. And um, and I'm, I'm there asking me why I want to be a financial advisor. I mean, that's that's a very powerful question to ask somebody two months after September 11, 2001, and they're in your office wanting to become a financial advisor. I mean, it does, right. it, it says a lot, you know? And so um, I remember waxing poetic about, you know, how I wanted to make, you know, I wanted to learn all this information and bring it back to my community and teach others. And the guy stops me and is like, and you want to make money, right? I was like, oh yeah, of course I want to make money too, you know. So like yeah. they were still focused on on the main thing, but I uh, I got into the industry um and under those circumstances, and and I um, became an advisor, went into production in February of two thousand two, and um and I it was a really because of you know the, everything that had happened with with nine eleven, it, it it changed how I could even present and try to come forth as a financial advisor, and so hmm. um all, all of this stuff kind of really I would say it framed my, my, my entree into Forex because of, like you say, all these things are like reshaping my mindset and understanding of what, what's important and what isn't important and, and so on and so forth. And so yeah. when I went into production, you know, nobody wanted to buy stocks, obviously. And so um, I had two things that I would do primarily, which was um, I offered a lot of wealthy people who had, you know, large, large valued homes. I call them and, or clients and say, you know, how about, I gave you a one percent interest rate on your mortgage, you know, and so you know, so we had, yeah, I mean, <laughs> right. so that'll get your attention. So you get a one percent LIBOR based, you know, interest only loan, and then now you've got more money to go either, you know, buy more stock or do whatever. So you know, I was just finding creative ways to get people involved, you know, and um, wow. but but my biggest 1% thing one percent low, how'd you? Can you still do you still have no, those I connections? Don't they, I don't think they don't even do, right. I don't even think they do that anymore, bro. Like no. I don't even think it exists anymore. I think they no. got a six point LIBOR. They don't even have a one more thing anymore. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was good, though. I mean, it was like, I well, one thing I would say with being with a big wirehouse like that is that you got you got exposure to things that you didn't like to your point, things that you didn't even realize were possible. You know what I'm saying? And so mm-hmm. um, so that but that that opened my mind up. And then um, I would deal with a lot of business owners because I felt like we were all in the same similar vein in that they were trying to survive. I decided mm-hmm. for whatever crazy reason, I want to be a financial advisor, you know, in the worst economic times I've ever seen. And, and so I'm like, we're both, we're both trying to like make it right. You know what I'm saying? Right, so right. I would call these business owners and I would just ask them if they would like to get a better rate on their line of credit. And so for people who don't get why I was going like with the loan or the debt or the interest, like interest rate based stuff, Kyle, a lot of times when the market's down, it's, it, it kind of has a seesaw effect, obviously. So mm-hmm. when the market's down, generally interest rates are down because, you know, whoever the powers that are, they're trying to stimulate economic growth, right? right? So, they, so they, right. the cost of money goes down. And so I would just call these guys about their lines of credit that they already had in existence and say, hey, what if I can get you a better interest rate on your line of credit? And the smart ones would be like, hell yeah, let's talk about it because anything that you save in interest is going directly to your bottom line, you know? And right. so so I just I just kind of really got creative about it. It opened up a lot of conversations and uh, they became a lot of resonance with business owners, you know, just with me. I just kind of vibe with them a little bit more. And so um, that kind of that informed my journey, man. Really, I, you know, I, business I, owners are a big part of where I am. I love the I love what you said there because that's one of the I mean we talked about that a few times. Uh, George Papazov, one of the first guests we ever had, when he came on, he told us like you know there's two ways to get more profitable. Like you can either make more money on your trades or you can spend less or lose less money. Right on, absolutely. But the, whatever you can spend less on interest, yeah, is just freeing up and making you more profitable. Straight up, straight up, straight mathematics, man. You know, and and mm-hmm. yeah, and, and if you do both, then you're really winning. You know, so if you right. can make more money and cut your expenses, life is really good. You know, so. Uh, yeah, man. So I just, you know, I just took that with me and um, I went, eventually went independent uh, in t- 2005. I started my own uh, advisory practice. And um, is there a specific reason why you decided to go out on your own? Like, did, was there something you didn't like about the, the industry you were in or just wanted to take the chance and, you know, do it yourself? Great question. So when I when I envision going into the advisory space at all, when I wasn't even in it, uh, my biggest desire was really to have my own. I mean, I was really mm-hmm. on 
ownership. And so um, I couldn't do that straight out the gate. You've got to get, you know, your series yeah. seven, your 63, 66, all that stuff. And, and, and you've also got to cut your teeth. And so, you know, a dude showing up on your doorstep saying, I just started my own practice is not the same as I'm Kevin Jefferson with Merrill Lynch, you know, yes, <laughs> so, yes. you know, so, so I, I use the big elephant. I use the big tiger in the room to get, you know, get in the room, create relationships. And then when people already had relationship with me, it was easier to say, Hey man, I'm going out on my own. Cause I want to, you know, I want to blow this thing out, make more money and, you know, have more flex. And people are like, cool, because we already been rocking with you. So it was, it was, it was strategic. And uh, it was about three years, four years in the making. Um, I went from Merrill and then I got recruited to Edward Jones because um, they wanted, honestly, they wanted more black financial advisors. I was in Alabama and they, they wanted mm-hmm. to open up, you know, in, in uh, a new office up there. So they, they recruited me away, spent a couple of years with them. And uh, and that was cool. I would say Merrill taught me really a more about wealth management. I think I really learned okay. like the artistry of tax harvesting and losses, loss harvesting and how to like net unrealized appreciation and and all these different cute things that you know people do to, to keep more of their assets, and I or feel they like say they do. Yeah, yeah, say, yeah, so they say they do, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly, yeah. right. And so, and then um, Edward Jones helped me really understand how to run a business because they, you know, even though you don't really mm. own the office, they 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 make you run it like a business. You have a PL statement, you got an assistant, you you're paying part of you know, it, it really helps them because you're paying part of your expenses out of your commissions, but but you do get a chance to see, okay, this is what it really takes to run a practice. So. I feel like I had a good runway between product and, and experiential knowledge and then learning the business side of running a practice to like launch out. You know what I'm saying? And so right, right. That's, that's that's what I went. And, and, you know, and then you get paid more when you go, you know, go independent. Well, yeah. So, and so, yeah. So now, like you talk about increasing income, sometimes reduce the expense of being with a wirehouse. That, that, that's enough to double your income right off the bat. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Um, yeah, man. So it was just, you know, that was just my journey. Uh, that's what I wanted to do. And that was, that's such a fascinating journey too. And I love the the mentality too of the, the, I'm not looking to go out and strike it rich on day one. I'm going to put the time in and learn the job. And I feel like that's another thing that when people try to get involved in trading, like it, they've, the barrier to entry is so low and it just feels like there's a lot of people that don't realize that there's a lot of time and effort that gets put into it. Like if you start working at, you know, um, I don't know, so you'll go work the factory floors at Tesla and like, you're not going to start out as like sweeping the floors and then go talk to your boss and be like, Hey, I want the same things that the CEO has. Exactly. <laughs> you got to put your time in, man. Right. You, you can do that. And they're going to they probably show you the CEO's right. office on the way out the door. Right. Yeah. It's like, oh, here's where this trash can is. Go empty. Exactly. Go right. Get that. Yeah. And then you're fired. Right? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, using that as the, the chance to build credibility, not only that, but also you learned a shitload during that time too. It sounds like. No doubt about it, man. I, um, I'm really grateful for um, I, I don't know what it was about that. I think I had I always had for, to be honest, I had already been operating in a level of frustration mm-hmm. uh, when I first went to the military. And, and what I mean by that is I was um, I, I got out. I got out there in the military, you know, as a second lieutenant. And, I'm, you know, got a little bit of enough money, a little money, not a lot of money. They, you know, they make a lot of money. But, yeah. but because I didn't have college bills, you know, it was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go into, I wanted to be an entrepreneur, man. So I was like, I would try everything. Um, I was, you know, what Amazon is now used to be in a, used to be in a booklet that you would buy. Right. I'm doing right. online. You know, I remember there's this, this, this Chinese dude um, on a boat, you know, at night with all these beautiful women selling something, you know, I don't know if he was selling real estate. <laughs> <laughs> selling direct marketing, whatever, but I, you know, I, hey, I got some direct marketing books, man, and so, so you know, you're trying to sell stuff out of a book and and drop shipping. I mean, all the crazy stuff, and all I missed was really mentorship, you know. And so I, I was mm-hmm. frustrated because I didn't have mentorship, but I had all this motivation, and um, and so I think that because I was already frustrated with my journey when I kind of got beyond the military, I was already frustrated with not having what I felt were the resources to make me what I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, when I got control of my time again in that respect i really went hard on like making sure that i put myself in position to win and 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 it, and it was a it, i don't know it was just a process it's like okay once i mean once i get in now i can you know mm-hmm. first of all you don't you like it's you have to succeed to stay in the game anyway so like that right. part you, you you get your confidence up because you you live long enough to be an advisor for several years but then that's an excellent point 
you know, and so yeah, because it's it's the worst fifty thousand dollar job a year job you'll ever have in your life. <laughs> I promise you that. Shit, maybe a hundred even. You know, because, like with the bullshit you go through to get get that money, you could have just went and worked at Walmart. You know, right, and, right. Um, so, <laughs> so you you know, some things came came from that, but um, I was just really focused on my goal of really trying to position myself financially to have the liberty that I wanted, man. And so that's what drove me, honestly. And uh, yeah. so, you know, did what it took to, to kind of get there. And it, it was, I would say the first, honestly, the first 20 years. So I'm, I'm 48. Uh, I've, I've been in finance for 21 years now. Mm-hmm. And I would say that the first half was what I call the accumulation phase. That's of knowledge of resources, of relationships and leaving lessons that I've earned. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Things that yeah. I've that really did not work out. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. We got to, got to, if we're being real, we got to cash those too. <laughs> but then now, you know, I feel like I'm on the distribution phase now to where all of the things that I've earned and, and grown in over the years, I'm able to really share them in a meaningful way with other people, you know? And so I'm really happy about this part of my journey just as much as, if not more than what I, where I started. Well, David, that segues into the FM trades and, and what the, the latest venture there. But I kind of want to talk a little more about how you got into Forex. Like why Forex first? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So, um, all right. So I'll take you a couple steps back and, and kind of what triggered my mind to really get, get, get intentional about trying mm-hmm. to learn something like trading. Right. And so, um, one of my clients, a guy and, uh, and people hear me talk about him all the time because he really impacted me. Um, an African-American gentleman by the name of Sid Hutchinson, when I lived in Alabama, he was one of my clients and um, he had retired and sold his um, tailoring shop. He had a custom tailoring practice business or whatever. And so his apprentice, um, a lady bought, he sold his business to her. And so, mm-hmm. you know, he was retired. So we would buy bonds. And and one day I was at his house and uh, we were fi- filling out some paperwork for, for a purchase or whatever. And uh, it was like 2004. And I remember him telling me, he was like, you know, something on the news. He was like, you know, I, I've never seen anybody. It must've been something around unemployment. Cause he was like, I've never seen anybody that had a trade, i.e. like a, a technical skill that mm-hmm. that if they wanted to work, they couldn't work, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, yes. that stuck with me, you know what I mean? And so, and I was always a big advocate of trade schools anyway. I, like, I felt like a lot of college is bullshit. Yeah, yes. you know? And, you. and so, yeah, so I'm like, <laughs> man, no, this is right in alignment where I, where I feel about life. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so with that, I, I went and bought a book. So in that mindset, I went and bought a book on how to trade the stock market. And um, I was- Which I one read, was it? I don't even fucking remember, man. It was so long. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know, what I can tell you is that the book was, it, it was neat to look at, but I'm looking at it and it's got these candlesticks and I didn't know, like it, none of it made sense. Like it was just like going yeah. and saying, I want to learn how to read, ger- speak German and I go get a book in German and then I start reading German. Like it didn't, you know, <laughs> that ain't how you do it. You know, so, no. <laughs> but, it, but it discouraged me enough. <laughs> you know, it discouraged me enough. I'm like, man, this is, I don't, all right, I'm going to put this down. And then I moved back to Texas. Uh, and so- you know, so I, I kind of had other things keeping me occupied and I, it didn't hurt bad enough because I didn't need the money from mm-hmm. trade. You know what I mean? So it was like yeah. it, I had some barriers to to, to, to kind of going down that path. But when I moved back to Dallas, um, I was processing. I was about to move back to Dallas in 2009. But before I came back, 2008. And I don't know if you've ever seen this, but CNBC has um, or had this thing called the Portfolio Challenge. Have you heard of it? Oh, I think that sounds familiar. That was that was old, though, wasn't it? Yeah. So what 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 it was? Um, just kind of refresh your memory. I guess was old is relative, but well, well yeah, all, all, yeah, everything's relative, man. Shit, you know. Yeah. But 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 back it was around at least as late as two thousand nine, two thousand ten, right after the last yeah. financial crisis. And so what they had, and I had been participating for several years, even before I became an advisor, they would give you a notional portfolio of a million bucks, and then mm-hmm. they would take you, let you invest it however you wanted to, and then you you know you compete in the highest. Performer after a certain period of time got a million bucks, like legit. Right. And so in 2008, they added the asset class of foreign currency trading. And so that was intriguing to me because Hmm. I, like most people, had the only understanding of of currency trading was when I'm in an airport about to go to a foreign country. Exactly. I'm trading, you know what I'm saying? I'm trading my currency for there so I, you know, better exchange rate. Supply and demand, though. That's exactly what it is. And so um, when I, I figured it out in 2008, just to bring people up to speed on like what was going on. The euro was really killing the dollar. Like it was the euro was twice as valuable. You know what I mean? I actually, yeah, yeah I had to make a trip to Italy right when I got out uh, for a training class and like the exchange rate just was killing me. Right on. Yeah. Right on. So, yeah. So it was it was it was outrageous. I mean, it was they were, you know, it was good for exports. It was bad for, for us, you yep. know, as travelers, you know. So, yep. um, 
So so I so I bought Euro, man. I like I took the, the FX piece and I, I mean I didn't know anything about leverage, which is a big part of Forex. Right. Um I didn't know anything about what drove anything. I just say, hey man, if the euro is killing the dollar, I'm buying euro. So I bought it. And um, when I checked the portfolio, maybe a week or so later, it had grown like exponentially, like by several hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> and so I was like, what the fuck? I'm like, okay, I'm pretty good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're so like, oh, I'm like, shit, I know I'm good, but I ain't that good. You know? I fucked something and up. So, <laughs> right, right. I fucked something up. Something ain't right. And, you know, it, it went really well, you know? So yeah. I went and looked and it was the Forex piece that had grown. And um, so I, I said, you know, okay, let me check this out. So FXCM, which is no longer allowed to do business in the United States because- they they were liars, um, and that I, I, I kind of personal about that because I feel like they owe me some money, but that's that's another conversation. Yeah. But um. Good luck. But, but yeah, yeah. Good luck with that. Exactly. I just kind of write that off. Yeah. But um. But they 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 would you know they they would get accounts from you know you learning about forex through them and they had classes and blah 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 and so I the bug bit me. I was mm-hmm. like anything that can grow this fast, I need to learn about it. You know. Yeah. And so um so that kind of got me going and I opened up an account and I kind of went on that journey. And, uh, you know, you have a little beginner's luck, but then you realize that it, it really shows you a lot about yourself and in a lot of ways um, when you really get involved in trading. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll expound upon that some more later. But um, I realized a lot of the non-positive tendencies I had because I was like most people treated it like a casino. You put in, you know, fifteen hundred bucks, you make three thousand dollars in 15 minutes. You know, you, you got the rest of the day off. It's like you and all the old retired people at the movie. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's all it is. <laughs> I yeah, mean, you know, yeah, yeah. everybody's at work, you know? And so, I mean, but but just like that, it gets addictive and then you go give your money back plus some. And and so I went through all of that, man. But it was just, it was the ability to make so much money so fast in a real, in, with a relatively small amount of money that really intrigued me. And I, I'll get into the specifics of how that really works now, but it, that got me going. And so uh, with technology aligning with Forex at the right time in my life, it gave me an entree to start learning it a little bit, you know, a little bit differently than probably I would have even, you know, five, six years before that. Yeah, because that's when really electronic trading really started to take off. It's right around that time, wasn't it? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it was very fresh, you know, mm-hmm. very, very fresh. Yeah. So um, so what you know, so what I did was I went on that path and I I just was blowing money, man. I, I could have, you know, could have went to Harvard for what I you know, what I gave to Martin. <laughs> for real. Like no scholarship for real, bro. I mean, so I was like, this is crazy. Got to pay that tuition, huh? Yeah, absolutely. That So that was my tu- my for real tuition. But at one point I got serious. Um, one of my childhood friends who he was the only other guy, one of the only other guys I knew who was trading. Uh, we grew up playing soccer together, a guy named Toby. And then another dude named Kyle, I think his name was also. That uh, wasn't me. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. This Kyle. Right. Right. This right. Not, not this Kyle. Yeah. But, um. And so we would get on the phone two o'clock in the morning and like literally have trading sessions, you know, because, you know, the Internet wasn't robust like that. Right. So, um, so we just yes, yeah, so we just be on the phone, man, have a two o'clock in the morning London session. And so why are people asking, like, why are you on the phone at two o'clock in the morning talking about trading the market? And so um, let me kind of share with you how like what Forex is, how it works and then why I was up at two o'clock in the morning trading. It, well, it sounds very familiar to or similar to futures then, uh, at least as far as like the 24 hour market, because I know there's a lot of people that trade like Globex and. I don't touch it. I don't like the the low volatility and liquidity, but right. I definitely yeah, see the appeal. It is. It is. It is. It's so so that's the piece. It's because it's global. It's a twenty four hour market. Yeah. And, and so we we would trade the London session because the London session behaved a little bit more civilly than the U.S. Yes. Session. Yes. <laughs> so, I would agree. With you. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So so that's where we would be trading, man. And so um so so forex is basically uh, why I tra- chose forex over maybe stock trading. And I'll kind of lay it out. And so in the stock market, you know, if you have a dollar, you literally and you buy a stock, whatever, let's say that stock is worth a dollar. Mm-hmm. You literally have that stock has to go up by 100 percent for that dollar to become two two dollars, right. whatever that whatever methodology that is. Right. Yeah. And so if you could take that same dollar in, in the currency market and think leverage and that dollar could literally have the buying power of one hundred dollars. Now, all you have to do is, is grow that hundred dollars by one percent to get the same dollar. Right. And so the leverage play allows you more more opportunities with less capital at risk if you do it right. And it allows you to get what I consider um, what people would be happy with in a year. You can get that in a month or two months. And so now you can really do what I call collapse time by consistently trading, not not being crazy with it, but earning enough to where you could literally maybe create two or three years worth of returns um, in a year where you generally generally won't in the stock market. And so because of leverage, um, it allows you a lot more opportunities to make more in, a, in, a, in the same amount of time. 
And so the, 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 the logical question that a lot of people would maybe ask is, what is leverage and why leverage? And so I, I'll come back to the, the to the dollar again. So let's think about um, oil prices. Um, let's think about anything that that you would consider that's very sensitive to certain conditions, um, including even the weather. Right here in yeah. Texas, you know, when you hear about it's, it's going to be a freeze, and you you probably know this. You know, um, from, I mean, you, you're probably different from being up north, but but down here you know how people get. Oh yes, <laughs> you hear it's going to be cold. And all the bread and all the milk is flying off the shelf. You know what right, I'm saying? Like right. it looks like like zombies down. are coming already. <laughs> it's, it's a wrap. You know, so so think about that same type of reaction, and think about how people would drive an extra three miles or five miles to get ten cents off their gas, right? Yeah. And so, and so all of the crazy shit that we do to try to protect ourselves under these circumstances. Imagine if the dollar was literally fluctuating by three, four, five, ten percent a day, like. Yeah, it would be insane. It, you wouldn't be able to function. Absolutely. Yeah. People would be scared to do everything, you know, and so um, it would be bad for the banking system. And so what they do is they take pennies on the dollar, like five decimal points to the right of a penny, and they they leverage that up. So now you're trading micro pennies, but they because of leverage, they get they get the power of dollars, but it doesn't affect the economy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, so that that way, you, you know, that's how you get a seven trillion dollar market that's built on fractions of a penny. And that's what the Forex is. And so the power of that leverage um, allow in, in the, the, the 24 hour, five day a week nature of the market allows you a lot more, to your point, opportunities through volatility and volume because money is moving every day. You just get on that, you get on that river and catch that boat to your destination. And you can do that over and over again uh, on a regular basis. So that's why I like currency trading um, over stock trading. Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. The other part is um, people will say, okay, so what is a currency trade? Like, are you actually buying a dollar or, you know, are you buying stock in the dollar? You know, and I understand that because the common conversation is stock market, right? And so you're talking equity ownership and all that. So you're not buying currency in the expectation of just holding it and, 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 you know, cashing out on it at some point. Right. Currency is is literally like a seesaw in the in the playground, you know, area. So for it to really work, you need two people on it. Mm-hmm. And so you've got you got a, the base currency and then you've got the quote currency. And so you've got maybe like to say the euro trading against the dollar. But yes. but in this. Uh, go ahead. No, that was going to be my question, actually, was it about how because it works in pairs, I thought like uh, exactly you can't just trade one asset. You have to trade an asset relative to another one. But please continue because. No, no, you're right on. Exactly. So so it's the seesaw. And so I'm going to kind of simplify it for, you know, most people will understand this. If you're if you're in the U.S. Um, and you're taking a trip to Mexico, let's say. Right. So you're going to trade your dollars for peso. And so that because you have to exchange the money, it has to be a two party type transaction. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we exchange our U.S. dollars for pesos on this side of the border because of what you talked about when you were traveling to Italy, yeah. the law of supply and demand. And so the demand for pesos is obviously less in the U.S., even though we're very close to Mexico, than it is when we go to Mexico. And so, um, Uh, right. Okay. Right. And and so there you are. So you take you go to the currency exchange before you leave. You don't get the best rate, but you get a better rate than you would if you got down there. And and maybe your bank has the best rate because, you know, they get the stuff at, you know, amazing. They set the rates. Right. But the point is you you exchange it before you get down there. And so your money is is taking part of a trade already by, by exchanging dollars for pesos. Now you go down there to Mexico, have your fun, and then whatever you have left, you you exchange for dollars uh, when you come back or before you come back, normally when you come back. And so that's called, just like you take a round trip on a vacation, that currency trade, when you buy and close out with the, the, the pending sale or vice versa, that's called a round turn. And so what you're doing is you're, you're exchanging your dollars for pesos 
uh, for the time that that you need to. And 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 I'll, I'll speak to how that how that creates a value proposition in a minute. But and then when you're done with it, or you feel like the value has been exhausted, you exchange back to dollars, and that's how you cash out. So you you sell dollars, or you buy dollars and sell pesos, and then you have to buy pesos and sell dollars, or vice versa. Um, and so at some point, you've owned both currencies from a notional standpoint until you close out your trade. One thing I can see with this is that like when you buy a stock or a futures contract, like you only have the appreciation or the very the variables of that contract or whatever that industry is that you've selected. When you're doing a currency pair like that, like you've got two inputs that you got to worry about. You got to worry about how the peso moves, but you also got to worry about the strength of the dollar as well because that's what you want to convert it back to, right? Correct. So you almost have two things that could be working it sounds like that could be super beneficial and also super dangerous too. This is true. So, so that now, so the to your point, the, those both are correct. And then, so the 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 volatility is going to be gotten in the uh, the velocity of that change, right? And so, okay, yeah. So just because the U.S. is changing more or doing more, being more effective than the peso, it's really the velocity of that change. Because only you know when you have market news, you see the market moving very heavily. When you get that that mm-hmm. volume in there, that kind of shifts it, and that's when people really believe what they believe about whatever they believe, and so um, and they're taking action on that. And so with the it's not really, and so you 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 are paying attention to those things, but the best way to to kind of save yourself is to always stay with obviously liquid, you know, in in, in really strong government. So I'm not like trading the Russian, uh, was it the ruble? <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not trading that. You know, I'm not even trading the rupee. Like you know. I was thinking when when that uh, first cratered, I was like, man, someone's probably gonna make a lot of money on this thing when it rebounds. So yeah, it, yeah. And so what's crazy? <laughs> I actually, on the flip side, you could have made money on on the front side because it's a year. It would have been a uh-huh. dollar ruble, ruble trade, and so you yep, could have been buying right. the dollar and selling a ruble simultaneously. And so um, actually, I didn't even man because I'm so out of it. Like I, people think that I'm so. I mean, I watch Bloomberg because I really enjoy watching Bloomberg. But um, mm-hmm. I am really so disconnected from the fundamental bullshit that people talk about, like I and almost purposefully <laughs> because I'm like, man, you know, I was I put a post out yesterday on LinkedIn. I was like, you know, um, fundamentals inform people's ideology, but technicals inform people's profits, you know, because mm-hmm. you, you can make I've seen people make a story up about something that happened a million times, but very few people ever give that predictive story on the front side. And I have, uh-huh. you, know, you know what I'm saying? I, per- yeah, I yeah. put videos out on it. Like I put videos out on uh, Bitcoin when it was in the 70,000 plus range. I um, I told people when I was shorting it, I shorted it online. Um, I told people, you know, uh, I, I mean, where I thought it was going to go. I've done it for oil, done it for for the indices. Um, I've done it for, um, for gold um, and even Tesla. I shorted, you know, I called a short on Tesla in April. It was like April 15th of 2021, I think it was. Maybe it was last year. I don't remember when it was. Maybe it was last year. Whenever Tesla, Tesla was mm-hmm. about to fall, and uh, shorted it, and then on the flip side, in the one hundred and ninety range, I, I gave my homeboys kind of a heads up that it was about to go back up, and kind of gave them price points, and now it's up above two hundred something, almost three hundred bucks. And so the point I'm making with that is the technicals of the market really give you what you need to take action, mm-hmm. and then the fundamentals really give people the psychological ease to justify the conversation, if, if that makes sense. And so, yeah, I always looked at fundamentals as being more of like a, like, that's what I want to use when I'm picking out the strategies for my investment portfolio, not necessarily for my trading portfolio. Like when I make a trade, I'm, I'm using technicals all day long. I, I agree with you hundred percent. And I have, I have this conversation with friends of mine who are super smart. I mean, they're portfolio managers for major corporations and doing all kinds of stuff. And, and we get into these chats with each other. And, uh, and I just love their doggedness about their conviction about certain things. And I'm like, that's cool, man. Like I'm not even mad. Like be on that train and, and the train that you're on, you've got to kind of see, you got to do that because that's like, that's the, that's the world you live in and play in. But yeah, just don't poop, don't poop on my parade. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just because I don't, yeah. I don't look at that bullshit. <laughs> and it's okay. I look at those people and I wish like, just learn a little bit about technicals and you get better entries with your fundamental analysis. Thank you. Exactly. So <laughs> if you use them both, actually, you're right. You can actually elevate everything. Yeah. Yes. And so, exactly. So yeah. But anyway, man, so, um, so, yeah. So what you're doing is you, you're basically, t- you know, the market structure shows up. And the reason I can I can call this on Bitcoin, Tesla, gold, the indice, whatever we want to do, whatever you want to trade is because the price cycle has a structure in every market because every market is driven by supply and demand. And in every market has some type of intermediary that's creating a liquidity. And as long as there's an intermediary, think um, sports betting, you've got the you've got the sports bookie, the sports book 
mm-hmm. they set the line at a certain point, but their whole goal is to get enough people to take the bet on this side of the line, move the line and get enough people on the other side to where their risk is minimal. Yeah. And the same thing happens with market makers. So that's what they do is when you look at a price cycle structure, you can see where they're actually influencing the market. Um, they're taking opportunities and they're setting up for themselves to oh. like, minimize their risk. And then when they move to the next level, they, they've already done what they need to do. And then they move on to the next price level. And so. So you're looking for inefficiencies on in how they're pricing their their products. Right. Or really the the created the, the perceived inefficiencies that they create. Mm hmm as a way of lining up everybody on each side of the trade, you know? And so, right. and, and so there's always a little bit of margin that they have and we just piggyback on their, their little piece that they actually have in the market because we know that that's the stake that they want to make money on. And so we follow them wherever they're going or if they're going higher or lower, we wait for them to show us their hand. And then it's almost like watching the you know, world series of poker online. And you can see like when they cut the camera on people's cards and you see how people behave, like we get, to see, yeah, yeah. we almost get to see the market makers cards and then we make a bet based on what they show us, you know, and, and that's literally you do this over and over again and, and make a living off of it. You have anything that uh, kind of talks about like how you identify those points? Um, I do. So I actually have. Um, so the whole purpose of my business was uh, when my my dad passed in 2015, I had some time on my hands and I was really wanting to uh, help people uh, empower themselves financially. So it was born when my dad was when he was ill, he had he was uh, dealing with uh, colon cancer. And my, my now wife and I, we, we moved um, from Frisco, where I was in Frisco, we moved to Las Colinas, and then we moved back to, to Dallas in, in Dallas proper um, and rented a house close to my parents because my dad was dealing with cancer. And so uh, we, I was grateful that we had the time, freedom, and the ability um, to actually be present with my dad. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I thought about that a lot on, you know, in that year of his, of his, of his passing. Um, what could I do for men? I, so I started something called Forex for Dads. I wanted to teach dads how to trade Forex so that they could actually have more freedom of time, not only for their families or for their communities or for their kids, but for themselves. So they they could self-actualize and become better versions of themselves without having to go and get a second job. And so under that premise, um, I I, I created an online course and took, you know, basically anybody who like the the less of a trader you are, the better, because (laughs) you know what I mean? Absolutely. Less to unlearn. (laughs) I'm saying less plumbing to fix. And so, so, um, so it was really, I created a step-by-step online course, um, which is a part of what I call the DIY membership on FM trades. And, um, and it, and it took off and I I started attracting business owners and entrepreneurs, kind of like I was telling you that was my resonance. And so, um, what came of it, because I used to have also live boot camps called train the trader live. That was kind of a take on the military term of train the trainer. And so I was, you know, yep, you know yep, I remember yeah, this. right. Yep. So, yep. so, um, I, I had trained the traders and they would be two day boot camps where people would fly in. And uh, I would literally get them up to speed on how to take the first trade and be successful or identify entries uh, in 40 in basically in 48 hours. It was like two long boot camps. And so, um, it, oh, wow. yeah, it was really a lot of fun. So in 2018, I think it was it was like a couple of years before COVID hit. Um, I had a lot of uh, healthcare professionals. I had specifically doctors and nurses coming to my classes a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember one doctor, he was like, you know, I love this information. Um, this is really good stuff. I see it. But we rescheduled this class three times for you to, for us to make it here. So how much would it just be for you to do it for me? You know? And so, right. so we lost the DFY, the done for you side officially a few years ago to where we would just trade for you. But even in that, you still get access to the online course because my, my premise is really empowerment. It's not, you know, for me to, to do it for yeah. you, but I wanted to give people a way to where if they were concerned about the time to learn that, okay, let, let me insert myself and trade on your behalf while you get the ease with the process. And then at some point you can take your time uh, and learn it yourself, but you don't feel the pressure. And that way you'll have a better chance of success. So it all kind of worked in, worked in together. Um, but yeah, the online course that I created was really built for people to self uh, learn and with the recordings and the membership, all that stuff that comes with it. People to learn how to trade for themselves so that they can really self empower financially. I love that message. And I was a little nervous at first, the first time I saw that do it for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I love the way you explained that. And like, even just having, uh, I don't know, I'm thinking back to my experience. And if I had gone that route, it probably would have cost me less money during my learning years. Sure, sure, sure. sure. (laughs) I just said, okay, here's what I want to trade with. You take that. And while you're trading that, I'm going to be following the entries, looking along, learning through the back catalog of all the library and see like, okay, now that I've seen it done right, I can at least 
you know, have a frame of reference for that and be able to educate myself better. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, I mean, it's been, it's been, I'm mean, great. I was actually had a mentorship call with uh, somebody who's actually in the DFY program, but they, you know, they started, uh, there. he's a, he's a kind of a do it yourself at heart. And so he started learning how to, mm-hmm. you know, started reading the material and, and studying it. And so we had a great conversation this morning about where he is. And, and it's just really cool because for me, the reason I, you know, selfish, the selfish aspect of the reason I did it was um, not only the joy of like teaching other people, but it was a way to keep myself in check because um, as you probably know, you know, trading can be really, um, it can really be really lonely, you know, um, because you don't really meet. And humbly. And, and humbly for sure, bro, for sure. Yeah. And the longer you stay in, the humbler you get, you know, but, right. you know, yeah. but, you know, but I, I, I would say, man, you know, um, I, I, I started teaching people not only to empower them, but really, well, I always say, you know, it's kind of like a relationship, you know, at some point, you need her to be a librarian. Sometimes you need her in a certain type of skirt. Sometimes you need her to wear glasses, you know? And so that was me in trading. It was like, yeah. what, I need to keep trading interesting. So how can I dress trading up to keep it sexy for me? You know? And so um, teaching others was a way for me to keep myself honest as a trader um, and then yeah. still empower other people. Because when you're out there by yourself, man, you you do some weird shit. Like you start taking risks. That you, you know what I'm saying? I'm serious. You like, you start, you know, know. Yeah, you know, know what I'm saying? Like you start justifying behavior that you shouldn't be justifying, you know, what I call that, yep. that 3 a.m. behavior. You know what I'm saying? You know, anything you got to think about at three o'clock in the morning, probably something you need to be oh. doing. And, you know, whether you know, so, so it's like you, if you got to ask yourself a question at three o'clock in the morning, it's probably not something you need to be into. So that's the same. So that 3 a.m. behavior, man, with a trader, when you don't have anybody holding you accountable but yourself, like. Right. That that was the gift for me is like teaching people not only helps them, but it helps me because I, I want to always be an example for them. And uh, and when I'm and when I'm sending them trades, because my, my students actually get my live trades sent in a group chat um, with my entry, stop loss, take profits, all that time frames. Um, and one 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 vertical actually has, the you know, tell them how much risk I'm taking or I would take on this trade. And um, and so when I'm doing that, because I want them to win, like if I see a bullshit trade, I can't take it. You know, so it's like. You know, right, a low right, probability right. trade actually my students actually save me from trading poorly you know so it's kind of a neat little kind of yin yang thing you know kind of how the podcast ended up morphing into uh when i started this with dan like the like telling everybody about like your struggles on the air like at some point like you finally realize like hey maybe i don't want to take this trade because i don't want to tell everybody about how stupid i was exactly right? exactly <laughs> little ego ego play right exactly brother <laughs> Exactly right. Yeah, exactly. It keeps you in check, but ah, the community thing. Like, man, we're how lucky are we that, like, just in the last fifteen years, like, the ability to be able to connect with other traders and be able to build that kind of community, so that way you're not boring your wives and your spouses or your best friends or other people who have no interest in what you're doing. But you got to have somebody to talk to. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. You don't want to be a solitary when you're talking about money and trading. You know. So I agree with you, man. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. The times have really curated a very beautiful opportunity for us to really, you know, flourish, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, mm-hmm. man, I'm with you. I'm grateful for it. Now you kind of briefly touched on your dad, but uh, I was listening to another podcast appearance you did. I think it was on the the visionaries. Oh, oh vision land. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Vision land. Yeah. Um, you talked a lot on there about how your dad kind of shaped your experiences and really kind of gave you uh, guidance when you're growing up. I was curious, like how that, like, what did he teach you that, that really stuck with you throughout the years? Man, th- Thanks for that question. So I would say, um, more than anything, uh, my I, I, it was more through observation. So my dad was in, uh, he was the last part of his uh, career. He was in the McDonald's business. Well, not the last part, but the part of his career was which was most influential to me was he was in the McDonald's business uh, industry. And so he never owned his own stores, but he uh, went from corporate to working for owner operators. Um, mm-hmm. And specifically, he was working with African-American owner operators. And so there was a very small group of people. Um, that that were in that that vein back in the in the eighties, you know, um, in in and even nineties. It's different now, but yeah. So so they we all became very close. We you know really became like a big family. Um, but I saw how he would go into these. The reason he was so valuable to them is he would always come in, no matter how good or how poorly they were doing, and he always found ways to make it better, like literally to improve them, mm-hmm. like in a real way. And um and more so more than, so than that though, what I got to see from my dad was his leadership um, to where he he had compassion, but he also held people accountable and he gave people the levity to do what they need to do while holding them accountable. And he was a great team builder, man. Uh, we One of the, the owner operators he worked for, a lady named Rita Mack out of Atlantic City, um, she had one boardwalk, one store 
about two blocks off the boardwalk in Atlantic City. It may still be there. Um, I think she owns some more now, but uh, he helped her turn around her store and, and increase her sales and all that stuff. But he would he had this thing um, on Thursday nights where he would take his managers and his team. They would go bowling over at the Showboat Casino um, and they would mm-hmm. go bowling on Thursdays. And it was a regular thing. So he was I just saw him even before I went to the military. I saw him with the team building. I hope I saw him, you yeah. know, show people who were be a father to follow this kids because some of these you know stores were in the hood in Dallas, you know. And so um, I saw him hope like be a father be there for his, his, his people, and then also hold them accountable and give them opportunities to succeed, you know, where they were never in leadership positions. He put people in leadership positions. And so I say all that to say that my dad, uh, he just, he was exhibiting a lot of leadership characteristics that I didn't have the vocabulary for. Um, yeah. and, and then he also was a dude that something I had to learn later in life, uh, how, like how it empowered me. But, um, I would, my dad was a dude that always spoke his mind to the point where it, it kind of made me uneasy. <laughs> he always said what he thought, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, all right, I don't know if I was ready for that, you know, but he, 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 you know, it, but it worked for him, you know, so that was one of the things yeah. that I aspired to more than anything was the freedom to speak your mind no matter who's listening, who you're talking to. And uh, and not in, a, in an offensive way, but really in a self-asserting way, say, hey, man, you know, this is where I'm at and this is how I see it. And and that's just what it is. Respect to what you got going on. And so um, I just got to see him through the McDonald's business actually um, empower so many people's lives. He taught me about leadership. He taught me about discretion of leadership and how you don't, you know, how you don't front people out in front of the, their subordinates. And I mean, he just a lot of things that I, mm-hmm. I took with me to the military and into life. And uh, one of the, and one the reason I knew I was I was getting kind of a great confirmation of, of that I was getting good data from my dad was um, when he passed away. Um, actually, my wife's aunt and I didn't know this because I didn't even know my wife um, up until the last ten years. Mm-hmm. She was he was he was the he was her first job. Like so he he gave her her first job. And if I tell you, I've got friends who are attorneys, um, business professionals, owner operators at McDonald's right now. And they always say, man, he gave me a shot. He was like he gave me a chance. He was my first like the first job I ever had. He he gave me a shot. And so, uh, it, yeah, it was just really dope. Man. And yeah, just kind of see it yeah. in the eyes of other people. And so he was just naturally that dude, man. And so um, I w- I'm grateful that I was able to live under his roof. Now, you know, he got on my ass. I mean, he did what he needed to do. But when it was all said and done, to watch him, and the way he interacted with the world, um, he was just a very consistent dude, man. And I really I, I appreciate his consistency. It sounds like it sounds like he also cared about people, too. And that's one of the things that I'd. I always hate to see like people talking about relationships, like they always give the mouth surface, but how many people actually like really genuinely care about the person that they're talking to? For sure. And it sounds like your dad was exhibiting that to a T. I, I agree with you. I agree with you on that. And uh, that reminds me of when Lou Hopes, uh, I, I got a chance to see him speak. Um, I think when we were at West Point, he spoke to us. Or, and he was, tried to speak. Right? Yeah, 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 he tried to speak. <laughs> he, was, he, he, had, he had these two mantras. He said, he said, well, I always tell my, um, my players is, you know, I, what we, I tell my coaches is I, all people want to know is, um, do you, can you do what you say you can do? But also, do, can I trust you? Do you do you tr- do you care about me? You know what I mean? Oh, I think I've seen he, that uh, video. Yeah, yeah. He made he made a minute yeah. like just saying that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so that, re- that reminded me he cared about people and he did what he said he was going to do. And so, like, yeah, I mean, though, he, he checked those blocks, man. Uh, man, how lucky are we to have people like that in our lives? Like my grandpa is that for me, like he was the one who really shaped a lot of my, my youth. Um, just so grateful to have somebody like that, that could really exhibit and like demonstrate like through, through doing it, like give me a real role model to follow, you know? Right on, right on for sure, brother. For sure. Oh man. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I got into all the specifics, what you wanted me about, you know, Forex and the basics and all that. But yeah, no, but I think you gave us a spot where we can go to go check that out. I mean, we got, I mean, I was browsing through your YouTube channel. It looks like you got a ton of great content on there. Uh, we got the, the Forex fam, the fmtrades.com that we can go check out. Is there anything else, any other references that you, you'd like to recommend to anybody that maybe wants to get int- is interested in Forex and wants to learn more about how to trade it and how to do, you, yeah. you know, how to do it? Yeah. So, I mean, as far as uh, what we offer, yeah, fmtrades.com is what you need. But I would also say even be, beyond that, one website that I really loved, um, and matter of fact, to the point that I think that they probably give you way more information that you need, um, but it's, it's a great resource, um, is, a, is a website called babypips.com. B-A-B-Y Baby Pips. Yeah. P-I-P-S? Yeah, P-I-P-S.com. Okay. I'll make sure that's in the episode description. Yeah, check that out. It's a, I mean, great. I, it's one of the best 
hands down free websites I've ever been to to learn about Forex. And uh, they just do it in a really compelling way. So yeah, check that out as well. In addition to fmtrace.com. Yeah. Are you going to bring back the uh, the trading competitions? I'd love to see somebody bring one of those back. Hey, bro. I, trade accounts. Hey, you know what? I'm, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. We're, we're, we're doing a lot of stuff with prop firms now. So, you know, we're, we're leveraging um, prop firm money now. So we're not even having to put our own money in the market, which is so cool. Um, and oh, that's, wow. you know, yeah. So you can drive like real returns with other people's resources. So I think that'll be in the works, man. We'll probably find some formation of a, a prop firm that we can use to, to get people in the competition so that the loser doesn't lose their money, you know, like <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's gotta be paper trading. Exactly. It's gotta be paper trading only, you know? So yeah, man, but I'm, Hey, I'm, I'm here for it. I got, a, I, I hopefully have a lot of life to live and my boys are 10 year 10 and nine. And, and so, uh, I'm committed to this piece until they turn 18 because they're you know they're already learning how to trade with me and stuff but um, ah that's exciting it's super, I wanted, I've, super dope. Ah, i've been wanting to see you, got, you have to show me their trade logs at some point when they start uh, yeah taking their own because I've, I've always wanted to see what would happen if you started somebody with no experience you know yeah no doubt i, I think my um you know this is kind of a this is almost like a venus and serena conversation so uh <laughs> my, my sons yeah so my my two sons uh christian is my eldest so he's he's 10 um and then asher's nine and um and, and Asher is actually the one I feel like now Christian's super smart. He's like a cyber geek. He, you know, he's into cybersecurity and he said he wanted crypto be, too. Man, he will be like, he, he you know, he's a yeah, gamer. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's all of that, you know, and, but um, Asher is really like, he enjoy, they both love being around, but Asher really enjoys what I do. Like he sits on my lap and watches me. Um, and we talk about uptrends, downtrends. I mean, like, and he's into it. So I'm going to make, I'm going to make ah, a bold so prediction cool. like Richard. Like I'm going to say that the, that the younger will be the one that will be the Hall of Famer in Forex if there is one. So, so uh, uh. Yeah. But it's exciting, man, because, <laughs> I mean, just the fact that if I if I had a, a runway to where I could literally have eight to 10 years to learn a craft with no with no need to create money for myself. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like that changes everything, you know. And so that's why we on the, on the journey we're on, man. We're trying to free people up and collapse time because we ain't really got that much time, man, no matter how long we live. Uh, unfortunately, huh? Yeah, man. So. Anyway, yeah, just uh, well, shit. Uh, <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> I just turned you know, forty, man. You're just making me feel like ah, crap, bruh, bruh, <laughs> man. I've lived I'm like right, I lived like three or four lives, man. I'm like I'm about to be forty nine in September, so I'm just like I'm just big brother to you. I ain't like I'm just I just got nine uh, years of you know. I feel the same way though too. Like you know, I had my uh, I, I I jumped out in high school, uh, lived on my own for you know half my uh, senior year, joined the military right out of there. Uh, I've worked careers in the steel industry, uh, went to the Navy to get trained up on how to be a nuclear engineer. And now I'm trying to be a trader and a podcaster. Like, that's yeah, crazy. God, I've had a good run. That's dope. Yeah, that's dope, man. I mean, be Navy, by the way. But yeah, thank you for your service. If I should bring that up, I don't remember. I don't think we have much of a. There's not a whole lot of issues between Army and Navy, right? They don't really see each other very often. Not at all. It's 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 it's, it's purely the um. Uh, so, like you say, being at West Point, that's just our that's our rival. So we, you know, everything is being Navy. Oh, yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's just Army Navy game. That's yeah. yeah, that's all. I'm just I'm just clowning. <laughs> nah, fair enough. Yeah. No, I was a I was not uh, I was not smart enough to be a Mr. officer. You know well, I'll tell you what. I don't I don't I don't know if I agree with that. Maybe you're smart enough to not be. Maybe you just wasn't on your path when you were on it. I, 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 what I gleaned from you is that that is not the case. So maybe, I, I, okay, let's say motivated. I yeah, wasn't motivated Motiv enough to get through school. <laughs> now, I'll, I'll buy that. I'll buy that, but I won't, I won't buy that other thing. Yeah. I, I'm going to leave that on the shelf, bro. <laughs> so, but yeah, man. All right. Well, man, this has been such a fun conversation, Kevin. I'm going to have to bring you back for sure. Thanks. Uh, especially if you get one of the uh, contests going, man, I'll definitely get you back. We'll, uh, Right on. <laughs> okay, right. We'll, we'll definitely want to be take part of that if I can. <laughs> we'll figure it out here. Unfortunately, that does mean we have come to the end of our time with Kevin. But don't worry, you don't have to stress out. We've got his YouTube channel at Forex Fam that you can check out. We got the website fmtrades.com. If you need more Kevin in your life, check those out. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> no problem, man. You are a joy, man. I, I'm really, I'm really excited to uh, to build this relationship and do more with you. Oh, we'll definitely do more. Uh, we'll be back soon, though, with another exciting episode. But in the meantime, nothing says job well done like a firm tap on that five-star bottom. I mean, button. Uh, take care. All right. Oh, spoken like a bachelor. Uh-oh. I, I, I get back home. I know, right? <laughs> it's getting lonely here. Right on. <laughs> Say goodbye. 
to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.